Hello, my darlings, and welcome back to Conversations with My Higher Self. How are you? How is it going? Today, we're going to be talking about Christ consciousness. Today, we're going to be dissecting this very complex, very lofty idea. Hopefully, by the end of it, you are going to walk out with an understanding of how to possibly achieve one for yourself. Um, there, I said it. <laughs> so big goals for this one. Big goals, you guys. The bar is pretty high for this episode. I'm joking. Um, even if I just get to tell you what it is, I think we're good. Cool. A um, couple of housekeeping items before we get started. If you are not subscribed to me on YouTube, I am at This Is Maria. Uh, Maria with an interesting spelling of M-A-R-I-Y-A. We upload new videos every Wednesday for you. Um, and yeah, that is just YouTube specific content. So um, hope that you get a chance to check it out. And also my book is available on Amazon. It is called 72 Keys to Manifestation or an Ancient Path of a Modern Day Alchemist. This is a book that um, A is fully channeled, B is energetically like a treasure. It is energetically like a very unique book. You cannot help but get into its gravitational field and it will like literally the moment you start reading it, it will start shifting your life um, in the background. Uh, on top of that, it has, you know, so many practices. So essentially every day, every key is, has a practical and a theoretical part. So check it out. It's going to be worth it. But that's that. That's all I wanted to tell you today outside of maybe uh, come meditate with me on our Sacred Universe podcast. We have been recording some pretty nice journeys lately, a lot of light codes to share with you. So come and spend some time meditating with us new episodes every Sunday. Alrighty, Christ consciousness, huh? Um, I have waited a while to talk about this, multiple reasons. I, I just felt like you guys maybe weren't ready all the way. We're getting there. We're getting there. Um, Christ consciousness is having a resurgence. You're going to see a lot more people talking about it in the coming decades with varying degrees of success and with varying degrees of understanding of what that is. But that is, you know, let's set that aside for now. I find that there is a lot of interest obviously within the Christian community, as well as, um, you know, other communities to try to understand what Christ consciousness is. It kind of has softly migrated into new age and, and a broader spirituality as a concept. And I find, you know, as a scan, the human collective, that even the people that have heard of the concept of Christ consciousness don't fully understand it. And the ones that do believe that Christ consciousness is all about love. And that's really essentially the beginning, the middle and the end of what Christ consciousness is, is love. And so if they only open their heart to love, if only they understood how to love, they would essentially have Christ, have achieved Christ consciousness. And I will tell you, not so fast, my darlings, not so fast. Not that you don't need to work on your hearts, but as this episode will share with you, it is just one piece of the puzzle. Probably one of my greater grievances around how the Bible was preserved over time is that it doesn't really, it hasn't really maintained a lot of the original teachings of Jesus. As in, there are only so many words of his that are preserved in, in the Bible. And arguably, when Jesus came as a great teacher, he wanted to leave a legacy. He wanted to shift the paradigm. And he led by example. Did he lead with love? love? Absolutely. Is that one of the main pillars of his teachings? Absolutely. But I find that if you only look at that one aspect and try to replicate what Jesus was doing by only understanding love and only preaching love and only, you know, seeking love, you would be missing the, the, the point actually. And so Today, I wanted to take this chance since we're talking and you guys are tuning in and actually at some point, at one point, this is going to be one of our most popular episodes. So look at all the people that showed up to, to hear about this. Um, I wanted to start shedding the lights, the light on what Jesus was really teaching and what was important for him to anchor on planet Earth within the human collective. 
I think that sometimes we don't see the forest from the trees. We are so obsessed with, you know, when you're looking at a guru or a teacher, as a society, we're obsessed by tracing their steps and being like, well, okay, born here, went there, that was his family, and like really retracing the history as opposed to focusing on the, on the essence of the teaching. And that is what could be... Um, and if I were to make one shift is instead of focusing on retracing the steps of the teacher, I would put a focus on understanding the teaching first and foremost, starting with Jesus. Why not? Maybe one day I'll do um, episodes about other great teachers as well, but Jesus is close to home. So might as well. So I may have mentioned in some prior episodes that everything about the life of Jesus Christ was scripted. As in, this was a very well-written part in this large theater of the happening on planet Earth. As such, nothing about um, his legacy is random. And so, of course, the first thing that, you know, when you think about the symbology of Jesus, right? What is the first thing that comes to mind? The cross. We are being taught that the number one reason why the cross symbolizes Jesus is because Jesus was crucified and so he died on the cross. And so, um, quite ironically, right, instead of celebrating the living word of Jesus, we're celebrating him dying on the cross. But of course, I understand he died for humanity's sins and that why that's why it kind of makes sense maybe that the cross is the main symbol of Christ. However, I will tell you that despite the fact that organized religion tried very, very hard to focus on this absolution moment, right, the the sacrificial lamb moment, the fact that you remember Jesus by the cross is no coincidence. In fact, that was the number one positive outcome and number one positive aspect of the legacy of Jesus that so few people talk about. And so when we talk about Christ consciousness, one of the first things we need to understand is how does Christ consciousness relate to the cross? The cross is a geometric shape. It's a geometric symbol. It is not just any symbol. It is a sacred geometric shape that goes as, that essentially permeates dimensions and goes as high as source consciousness. So understanding the meaning behind the cross will inadvertently help us unlock the mystery that Christ consciousness is. And I swear to God, love is just one layer. So why don't we dive right in? Let us look at the symbology of the cross. The cross is essentially two intersecting lines, the vertical and the horizontal, the vertical axis and the horizontal axis. What do they really symbolize in the greater cosmos? What do they symbolize from the higher perspective? If you go up as high as source, and of course, as above, so below. So our earthly crosses are just a projection of the energies of source. Uh, So essentially the cross upstairs with like what it symbolizes within source consciousness is the same thing that it would symbolize here on planet Earth with certain, you know, adjustments, but the essence of the cross is the same. The essence of the cross is divine masculine and divine feminine coming together. In fact, the vertical axis of the cross is the axis of the father, divine father. In this particular case, the masculine facet of source. The horizontal line of the cross is the axis of the mother, And then, of course, you know, Jesus in this case was the divine child that understood both aspects. We are all our divine children. We all are byproducts of source, right? And it is through integrating both the masculine and the feminine within that we get to become the best versions of ourselves. Let's dive deeper because there's so much to this. Hopefully it's going to blow your mind. We shall see. All right, so I call the vertical axis, the father axis, 
the axis of sovereignty. I call the horizontal axis, the mother axis, the axis of togetherness. When sovereignty and togetherness come into equilibrium, which is what the cross is, it's actually them being balanced. What you get as a byproduct is oneness. So true oneness in the universe can only be achieved by the fusing of the two. And so once sovereignty, true sovereignty and true togetherness is achieved by us as souls going through our, you know, merry-go-round of incarnations, then at one point we can come into oneness. What happens at oneness, oneness and what characterizes oneness? The state of oneness is characterized by the frequency of love permeating every single aspect of that reality. And that is where you're getting the, the connection of Jesus to love. But really, really, if you think about it, love on this axis would live uh, horizontally. So love, please don't, don't, you know, bear with me for this analogy. Obviously, love is the ultimate truth of the universe. But technically speaking, love lives in the heart and the heart belongs to the domain of the Divine Mother. We're going to talk about that in a quick second. So bear with me for this analogy. Jesus, as a male, physical male, walked the path of the heart that was a very uh, feminine thing to do. And so when those two fuse together, you get into oneness, right? Or so essentially he was a blueprint for oneness or one day people coming into oneness. Oneness is also integrity, right? It's like being one within yourself, being whole, right? as well as eventual oneness of everything in the universe. So Jesus walked into a blueprint, um, if that makes sense. In the same way that if Jesus was a female, please bear with me for this analogy. I know this sounds like terribly sacrilegious. They're like, why, what do you mean Jesus is a female? He was obviously masculine. But if we had another parallel universe where it was chosen that Christ, the anointed one, right, would have been a female, then the female would have had to walk the same path into oneness, would have had to exhibit a very masculine quality of truth. And that it, you would have gotten the same exact result, the same exact vibration of oneness. But we had Jesus as our teacher. And so he had to walk the path of the heart, the path of love. Okay, I don't know if that, if that was too esoteric for you guys. I'm trying to bring this, now, now we're gonna start bringing it home. So let's talk about two states, the state of sovereignty and the state of togetherness. So essentially sovereignty is, by the way, both of you have, and it, it is achievable within a human body to have both of these. However, when, once these two things are achieved, essentially you achieve the state of God, which Jesus did. And so he is very um, deservedly so considered to be God or incarnated God, right? Because both of his axes, the um, vertical and the horizontal were fully integrated within his human body, which made him God incarnate, which is the path that he was showing as a way shower, right? And again, a lot of that teaching was lost. So we're, we're going to have to recover it piece by piece. So let's talk about the axis of sovereignty and the axis of togetherness. You guys are all familiar with the seven chakras, if you've been listening to me, uh, because I think I mention chakras every other episode. Of the seven chakras, the root chakra is the chakra that is responsible for plugging us into this time-space reality. So for all intents and purposes, the fact that you have this continuous existence where your spirit does not necessarily feel all that separate from your physical body, that is thanks to your root chakra, your last, or should I say your first, not your last, the first chakra located at the base of your spine. The other six chakras hold the keys to this holy cross that we're gonna be talking about. They hold the keys to Christ consciousness. So as we're trying to apply the chakra theory or reality onto this um, Christ consciousness framework that I'm gonna be telling you about and talking to you about, we're really gonna be mostly concerned with the six chakras. 
starting from the sacral, going off to the crown, from orange to white. This is really the pillar that you need to activate in order to approach uh, Christ consciousness on earth. So the pillar of sovereignty is the masculine pillar, consists of three masculine chakras, solar plexus, your yellow in the middle of your belly, throat, your blue, and crown at the top of your head. So yellow, blue, and white. And if you are not driving right now, <laughs> and you can just like quickly close your eyes, I want you to see that pillar with the colors, starting with the yellow, going into the blue, finishing with the white. This is your pillar of sovereignty. What does it mean? Again, very masculine pillar, masculine uh, colors, uh, masculine energies, not colors. Um, so what does the pillar of sovereignty stand for? It has a few main aspects. First, somebody who is sovereign understands their self-worth and has a very healthy relationship with their personal power. As in, somebody who is sovereign understands that they have the power, that they can impact change. They have a very well anchored solar plexus energy, right? So these are your people who are like, that is your action your sacred action, that that is your, in, in the way, your ability to have a healthy ego, right? I did, I did make an episode about ego if you wanna um, come back into that, but like a very healthy self-concept. A very healthy self-concept is not somebody that demeans themselves all the time, but it's somebody who recognizes their own power and sees themselves for who they are, right? So that is very, very important. Personal power, ability to make shifts and, uh, uh, impact change in the physical is very important for the masculine pillar. The second one, the lessons of the blue chakra, are all about personal integrity and truth. So anybody who has achieved integrity has a very healthy relationship with their word. They do what they said they were going to do. They understand that words are spells. That's why it's called spelling. And so they don't waste the words. They're very intentional with their communication. In fact, they think of their communication as a tool to heal, not a tool to destroy. They actually speak less very often and listen more. Somebody who is on the path of their uh, throat center also understands what they came here to do. So it is alignment on the path, connection with your higher self, connection with the North Star, all of the good stuff. Last but not least, on the pillar of so sovereignty is the crown. The crown is purity and light. So that is when essentially your inner vessel is so pure that light can come through and get anchored in your body. And by light, I also mean not just vibrations, but also communication from high realms. So somebody in their full sovereignty would be able to communicate with higher realms, and it would be as easy as making a phone call. So how does sovereignty feel in the body? Because we kind of went chakra by chakra, but really the trick is bringing these three energies together to feel sovereignty. So how would a person who has achieved sovereignty feel and behave? Somebody who has sovereignty, and we remember sovereign is, kind of stands for independence, but also stands for a mo for monarchy, right? Like in, in kind of like in the true sense of the word. So it is somebody who is crowned or adorned with a crown or, you know, anointed or cho chosen. So there is a little bit of that aspect of being chosen by source for a particular mission. So everybody who has achieved perfect sovereignty is a mission-driven individual. It's someone who knows where they're going, very determined, but has so complete clarity of where they're going, what they're here to do, but also complete and utter self-belief. Like knowing that you've been through things, knowing that you've gone places, and knowing that through that, you have developed this stamina, you've developed resilience, you've developed courage, and all of these things that help you walk the walk, not just talk the talk. This is a person that doesn't just give up because uh, strength of will also lives here in, 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 in the solar plexus, right? So somebody who, no matter how many times they get knocked 
down. They would get up and they would try it again. So persistence, perseverance is very, very important for sovereignty. Sovereignty means being comfortable with making a lot of decisions. So it's like rapid fire decision making. It's being comfortable making decisions for themselves and others. Um, somebody who is sovereign is really comfortable with the concept of responsibility, holding a lot of responsibility, carrying kind of the weight of the world on their shoulders. Somebody who is sovereign can handle varying, like literally growing degrees of responsibility um, all the time. Like, you know how they say like, um, it, if, 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 like, if you need something done, get it to the person that gets it done over, you know, as opposed to somebody who's like going to procrastinate. And so um, that's why very often, like in, in organizations, there's like people that accumulate a ton of work and other people that are just like laying low and not accumulating work. And the people that are accumulating work are just really good at it. And so more work comes to them, right? Not very fair, but somebody who is sovereign is able to accumulate a lot of work and like magnetize a lot of work to them, but get really, really good at like crossing things off their to-do list, if that makes sense. They are the doer. And so it's actually very, very important to know about the vertical of sovereignty. It is a vertical of doing, it's the vertical of action. Whereas the um, horizontal axis of togetherness is the vertical of being. So when doing and being, come together, eventually you get into the state of oneness because that, that would be the full merge, merge. And so unfortunately on planet Earth, again, if we're looking to approximate Christ consciousness, both are very, very important. It's not one or the other. And so sovereignty, going back to that, right? It's, it's kind of like how the lion feels. I don't know how much you guys are able, if you're able to play the, the game with me and descend into the consciousness of the lion, but the lion is the king of the jungle for a reason. Because the lion actually takes care of the ecosystem. So lions are very strategic when they scan their surroundings. And um, they are very much leaders in that regard. A lion is a sovereign. A sovereign is somebody who makes decisions on behalf of others, but is not paralyzed by those decisions. And the reason they're not paralyzed for those decisions is because every single decision is in alignment with two things. Their personal truth, and the greater good. And that's why they're not afraid to make a mistake or step into, or, you know, get into some type of um, uncomfortable situation. Because if you are acting in accordance with your personal truth, and truth as a concept in general is very pivotal for this axis, as well as when you're acting in accordance with the greater good, there is like, you cannot do wrong by default. The universe is going to align you with the most divinely inspired action. And so you are always going to make the right choice. You're always going to make the right step. You're never going to falter. You're never going to fall. You're never going to, do you know what I mean? So it's like when you're acting in full alignment, very often when people say in full alignment, they actually mean sovereignty. So aligning very often, right? Means getting your chakras in a place that would allow you to <laughs> uh, have sacred action or to do sacred actions, I guess. Whereas if you're in the flow, you're in the mother axis, right? There is, yes, is there alignment in the mother axis, obviously, but mostly um, alignment is used um, in, in the context when people are trying to achieve sovereignty. So, um, and, and here we also have this connection in the, in the crown center, right? Which is light. And this, it's this like cosmic, um, it's even beyond truth. It's like cosmic purity and conviction and understanding you're part of the greater plan and understanding how the things fall into place within that plan. Um, but also, believe it or not, being humble, truly humble, comes from the crown. Because the feeling of being truly humble that is healthy, because there is also something that people call humble that is actually just a lack of confidence. Somebody who is truly sovereign is able to project forth extreme confidence, but they're also able to remain extremely humble at the same time. And the reason being is because when they connect to source consciousness, they understand so much of the greater universe that they're able to maintain both perspectives at the same time, the great infinite perspective of absolute, as well as their finite perspective of, as a speck of dust under the thumb of God that their, uh, that their human body is, 
And maintaining both of these perspectives at the same time makes you feel very, very humble. Because as a perspective of absolute, you have nothing to prove. You are everything. And from a perspective of speck of dust, you truly ain't that great. So what is it for you to feel like, you know, all puffed up about, if that makes sense? So somebody who is humble, that is really your dead giveaway of true sovereignty. As, as long as it is coupled with sacred actions of being proactive and extreme courage. So that's that on sovereignty. Let's talk about togetherness. Oh, by the way, really quickly, how does how do these people perceive the universe? The universe? There is actually very, very, sorry, and I'm talking about people who are sovereign. It is a little bit like blind spots around others. So masculine is meant to stand on its own, if that makes sense. I'm not saying men are not supposed to have partners. That is not at all what I'm saying, so please don't go there. But true divine masculinity is the driving force behind the desire of the universe. So it is up to the divine masculine to tell the divine feminine what to create. Uh, truth of the universe, it's a fact. It is how things happen. It's up to the feminine then to bring the resources and to actually create, but it is the divine masculine that gives the impulse. And so sovereignty is that reduced, like reduced to uh, a third dimension. So what does that mean? That means that the masculine is extremely, so it's, it's almost like a bias around self, but not in the sense that I'm the greatest. That is not at all because that's not humble, remember? That is not true sovereignty. True sovereignty is I have a dream. I have a vision. I see a future when X, Y, Z is different, right? So it's like a bias around what is it that I want to create? What is it that, you know, I'm committed to? What are my values? What is the future that I would like to see happen, right? So there's a lot of I in sovereignty. In the same way that your kings and queens, right, always rule from the I, like I want X done or I want um, Y done, right? That is very, very normal for royalty to like order, uh, you know, things around and you just move things around according to their wishes. However, right, this is extremely important and pivotal to the divine masculine. Knowing who you are and knowing what you want makes the world go round. If you're going to be shy about what you want, if you're not going to take the time to understand what you want, if you're not going to have conviction about what the best version of the future looks like for yourself, others, and the planet, then that future is never going to be created. So there is like a lot of density around conviction with sovereignty. And that is why these people, uh, you know, sometimes like when you reach true sovereignty, you look a little bit obsessed um, or like hyper-focused on things. Uh, to others, right? They, they're like, oh, this person is really intense. Like they're really just like are going after it, right? So that that is kind of like another sign um, of, of sovereignty. Uh, and so so somebody who is sovereign doesn't really concern themselves too much with others. It doesn't mean that they're here to hurt others because again, they're in their full integrity, right? And they do do watch for the greater good. But there is that sense of knowing what that greater good looks like. Whereas togetherness is very different. So togetherness, the mother axis, it makes me even wanna shift how I'm speaking to you because it is such different energies, you guys. It is beautiful. So these are our three chakras. This is our sacral, our orange. This is our heart, our green. And our third eye, our violet. So that's a very, very different energy. This is the energy of our inner water our creativity, our resourcefulness, our beauty. Uh, of course, there's love and compassion here. Uh, relationships are here. And then we, last but not least, we move into seeing with your third eye. So being plugged into reality and everything around you. Um, so what is togetherness? Togetherness is not oneness. Because oneness is not a collection of multiple things. But togetherness is. Togetherness is a collection of multiple things that live in harmony with one another. It is a state of balance of things that are split and separated. So togetherness is ecosystem thinking. 
It is the obsession with the other, not the obsession with yourself. It doesn't mean that it's self-sacrificial, but you would think of yourself as part of the ecosystem. And as part of the ecosystem, you recognize that you matter just as, as much as the other guy. But for somebody who perceives the state of togetherness, their main motivator is not always, what is it that I want? Actually, in fact, what I want may not even be in the, in the, in the top 10 priorities. Togetherness is the state of being when you consider others in every equation, in every decision, every step that you take. Togetherness is understanding the cause and effect, is understanding the impact that you have on yourself and others and others have on you and each other. It is uh, what I mean by saying ecosystem thinking. It is the understanding of how the different things in the universe are intertwined and play together or play against each other. It's understanding all of those dynamics. It's understanding the butterfly effect. Togetherness is, it may come across as cautious, right? Somebody who is in the state of togetherness would probably prefer to just flow and float and just be, right? Remember, there it's a state of being, not a state of doing. And there may be, uh, they may be hesitant around the action in the physical space uh, because... Not because they're indecisive, but because when they're starting to look at an action, taking a particular action, they see the entirety of the consequences of that action, literally down to a T. How would every aspect of the ecosystem be impacted by my action? And sometimes when they estimate and evaluate those results and the happening around them, they choose not to take the action because they're like, Oh, well, well, there's going to be these aspects of the ecosystem that are not going to be thrilled by it. What do I mean by an ecosystem? Just wanted to make that clear because um, um, I don't think it was very clear. I'm getting the whiff from the collector. They're like, what does she mean? Um, ecosystem is first other people, right? Uh, other people, other beings. Then we're going, going into nature, right? Like what is an ecosystem? The trees, the grass, the animals, the plants, that is an ecosystem that is part of that. So when somebody moves through togetherness, they would worry about the impact that their actions have on the greater whole. Um, somebody who is in the state of togetherness understands quite naturally that everything impacts everything else. So they would be inclined to study the planets and planetary movements because they understand that the celestial bodies in the sky impact us, but the the reverse is also true. Right now in your body, you are impacting Venus, you're impacting Mars, you're impacting Earth. Obviously, you're impacting the sun. It goes both ways. There is no such thing as a one-way street type of relationship. When you have a relationship with somebody, they have a relationship with you, believe it or not. So that being said, the state of togetherness could come across as cautious, but it is because all parts of the ecosystem need to be considered. Of course, the state of togetherness is a state of love and compassion and forgiveness. Somebody who is in the state of togetherness is an empath by design because that is the only way that they can calculate the impact of their actions is by being instantly and intimately aware with or of how the others feel, what they're thinking, all of that, right? So the emotional and the mental impact. Another thing to mention about the state of togetherness is this. Whereas sovereignty feels like it needs to keep doing things and action is really, really prized, here it's almost the reverse. Togetherness and the, the, the feminine axis doesn't feel like it needs to do that much outside of maintain a certain state of being. So the resources here are going into maintaining a certain state of flow and a certain state of being and not so much the doing. The doing is very masculine. And so when, so when togetherness is concerned with getting the being right, it is actually inadvertently or subconsciously 
rearranging the resources of the universe so that things come to it organically, magically, if you will, without much effort. Somebody who is experiencing the state of togetherness feels like they're the favorite child of the universe. And the universe is going to provide for them just because. Very often, these people attract all kinds of handouts from others. Um, very often, you know, they would just naturally be taken care of by the universe. Like they may not, I don't know, they may have a partner that pays for their rent. They may uh, just get gifts all the time. It's just there's, it's th that energy, right? The energy of the mother is the attractor energy. It's the energy of magnetism, right? It's a magnet. And so very often, somebody who is experiencing the state of togetherness is not going to have to lift a finger to get where they're trying to go. Things are going to come their way. So there's, it's a very lucky, quote unquote, place to be. Uh, because again, things just tend to come organically and naturally without being forced. The state of togetherness is also a highly intuitive state. That is what we're getting into the third eye of this. This is a knowing and the wisdom. The wisdom to foresee interactions, to recognize patterns. Because the state of togetherness is first and foremost the master of relationships. So somebody who's mastered togetherness is going to be a very soft, either very soft-spoken person um, or somebody who is just very soft in, in, in how they come across, right? So these are the people who are either going to be conflict avoidant or would try to help others work through their conflict. So they're always going to be that peacemaker. Uh, that is what that is what their what what their natural inclination is based on their blueprint. Somebody who is experiencing the state of togetherness is very much led by the heart and their intuition. So their lo like logical decision making is not for them, which is why it's actually extremely important for them to do the things in life that are aligned with their heart and their heart's path. In other words, these people cannot be in a job that they hate or doing something just for the money because doing something for the money is not going to ignite them and if it does short term definitely not long term so I want to watch out for that but it's also this um essentially inherently uh, being in togetherness is being inherently connected to the akashic records and the informational field which means being connected to the past present and future so it, um, somebody who's in the state of togetherness is a seer. They're able to see clearly, more clearly than others, more clearly than the rest. And that enables them to navigate the tumultuous waters of life, meeting very few impediments, just because they see so many steps ahead. So when these two come together, is when one achieves true oneness with the state of God consciousness on earth. Um, yeah, one of the main reasons or lessons that Christ came to teach was how to help humanity get out of its slave mentality and slave DNA and slave blueprint into the state of feeling the power of God, goddess within. And that is possible via the magic of the cross. Now, um, I know these are kind of like really lofty ideals. And by the way, this could be a lifelong journey for a lot of you, or even potentially multiple lifetimes. I'm not saying that this state is very easily achievable. However, I would like to offer one very quick exercise um, that would help you bring these two things together, um, that would help you anchor sovereignty and oneness into your physical body so that you can start integrating and really learning and understanding these two concepts. So essentially we're talking about two loops over here. The first loop is gonna be the masculine loop and the second loop is gonna be the feminine loop. We're not necessarily working with the energies of the cross but we're working with the three chakras that kind of make up that cross. 
And so in the meditative state, I'm going to walk you through, this is not going to be an actual, actual guided meditation, but first you always want to first start with sovereignty, I believe, because generally the masculine moves first, the feminine moves second. That's why in divine numerology, masculine is one, feminine is two. So you want to start with your sovereignty. So you would want to imagine that in front of, sorry, atop your head, there is the central sun. Same thing as source consciousness. They kind of look very similar. The masculine face of source. And then you want to imagine, focus on the three masculine chakras that we discussed, the yellow, the blue, and the white, right? So solar plexus, throat, and crown. So it's almost like you want to imagine your body when the three chakras are lit up. And then what I would like for you to do is imagine that there is a stream of light that starts up in your solar plexus and goes up, goes through your throat, crown, and then shoots up straight to the center of source consciousness. So the center of that sun then loops around and comes back into your solar plexus. This is the loop of sovereignty in your body. If you are looking to anchor that and the qualities of the divine masculine and sovereignty, you want to keep running that loop. Um, you know, when you get into this meditative state, just like run it 10, 20, 30 times really, really quickly. And that will help you anchor the sovereignty loop. Then you want to stop, take a few breaths in between, reset your palate, energetic palate, so to say. And then you would focus on your three feminine chakras. And your three feminine chakras are the sacral, orange, the heart, green, as well as the third eye, which is purple or violet. Here, I'm proposing actually a reverse. So we're going to go, we're going to start with, um, so you're going to imagine that there is the dark void underneath your feet. Don't be worried about the dark void. The dark void is the mother, right? That is where everywhere and everybody and every, sorry, that's where everybody came from, right? We shouldn't be afraid of the void. Um, the void is essentially antimatter, building blocks of reality. So underneath your feet, there is the dark void that represents the body of the divine mother. And so you would do, you would, instead of doing the ascending loop, you're going to do the descending loop. So you're going to start with your third eye and imagine that there's a stream of golden light sipping down and kind of like streaking down from your third eye, then to your heart, then to your sacral. And then it goes straight into, from, from the sacral, it moves into the middle of that dark void and then loops around coming back into your third eye. And then you're going to keep running that loop 10, 20, 30 times, whatever feels right. And that is going to be your loop of togetherness and that you know so like once you run these two loops for a few minutes each um that is when you have essentially begun the process of initiation if you will on the path of christ consciousness which again i know can take years if not a full lifetime if not many lifetimes but you got to start somewhere and so i just wanted to offer this as a simple practice on this note, I would like to see if there are any questions from the collective on this note. So the question is, so if this is Christ consciousness, how come Christ is only remembered for personifying love? <laughs> wow, what an existential question you're asking me. The answer is not very straightforward. Um, a, there is a lot of dogma um, around what is even in the Bible, meaning there are certain things that were very intentionally put in there. And then there were certain things that were, were very intentionally omitted from the Bible. I feel like there are some rotten tomatoes um, heading straight to me from certain Christians. And I do apologize, but this is the truth, you guys. Don't mean to hurt your feelings at all. Um, and so, you know, um, unfortunately, religion is one of the modes of control in today's society. And yes, it is a stepping stone in, into spirituality, but it is what it is. And so um, certain things, you know, have been cut out for a reason. Now, the problem with how the love of Jesus was portrayed in the Bible and, you know, in the teachings of the Catholic Church and otherwise, um, it has been almost like a submissive type of love. Whereas, you know, um, if you get hit on one cheek, you know, give them the other. It's, it's, it's kind of actually... So what was preserved is the martyr. 
what was preserved is like that, almost like the slave archetype, the sacrificial lamb. And so it's even love is very much distorted because the vibrations of love and the vibrations of the martyr are not one and the same vibration. They're not even different color, you guys. Not nowhere close. But the church put them to put the two and two together, and now they feel like the same vibration. So in the collective consciousness of humanity, what is very prevalent right now is this belief that love is sacrifice. That is the legacy of Jesus, that love is sacrifice. It couldn't be more further from the truth because love starts with self-love you guys true love starts with self-love and if love is sacrifice then you don't have true love for yourself then do you see where there's like a fallacy now jesus walked the path that he walked because it was his divinely guided mission right did he play the role of a martyr absolutely eventually that's what the you know how should i put it the martyrdom of Jesus was a few hours of his life. What about the rest of his mission? What about all the light, right? All of a sudden, we just label him a martyr. That is not what he stood for, right? Was that an aspect of his life? Yes. Was that why he came? No, right? And so, you know, to, to truly answer your question of why is Jesus only associated with love is probably twofold. One... For a male, he did truly indeed have a gorgeous, beautiful heart. So his masculinity was so comfortable with femininity that it was outstanding. And he was really able to project the magnetism of his heart and really lead with that. So when he was preaching, his heart chakra was the number one most activated chakra, more so even than his crown. And Jesus was really in tune with source, with God, however you want to call um, the absolute upstairs. And even then, his number one most active chakra was the heart. So yes, part of why we remember him that way is because that was his true emanation and true vibration. Why is the rest cut out, though, is the story that you should be asking or the question that you should be asking. And, you know, if you're trying to keep a certain amount of people, a certain number of people subordinate and never have them find out their own power because people who are powerless are easier to control, then you would cut out a lot of things. And you would be like, you know what? Like, they know that it takes six chakras to realize God consciousness on earth. They're presenting you with one. And they're like, well, let's see if they can do it with one. Do you know what I mean? Okay. I don't know if I just went too much into, in, in, into hate speech. I didn't mean that. Um, I think every religion is beautiful in the sense that it is a stepping stone. However, right now, as a society, we're graduating into oneness of religious and spiritual thought. Because, and by the way, it was very much done by design. The teachers of the old have come Jesus being one, Buddha being another, there, there's been others, obviously, especially in the Hindu pantheon, a lot of great teachers came to build up their pillars of teaching. It's kind of like giving a page from the book. And it is going to be in the next 50 to 60 years on planet Earth that you are going to witness a lot of these teachings come to a common denominator and a common center. I will go as far as saying that one world religion is not such a far-fetched concept. One world united by one concept of spirituality is not unattainable for humanity. And yes, sometimes it means that we're going to have to have uncomfortable conversations about what was concealed and what was presented and why it was done so, but it is the times, you guys. Humanity is ready. All right, uh, I'll, I'll take one last question from the collective on, uh, on what was discussed today. Anything that's going to serve the greater group, please speak up. Anything about togetherness or sovereignty? Sovereignty, uh, it was more of a comment. Sovereignty feels very harsh to this listener and it feels like egotistical. So this listener is trying to figure out how to not perceive divine masculine as this abusive thing. 
or something that has power, whereas like everybody around it is powerless. I see where you're coming from. And that is the wounding of the patriarchy speaking in you, which is very, very high rampant in the collective of, of human consciousness. We do believe that not just believe, but the fact of life is the feminine energies have stayed subordinate to the masculine energies for generations. What does that mean? That means that the masculine had to play the role of the oppressor. And by the way, the masculine, like in its true pristine form, is not an oppressor. It is the greatest support system for the feminine. And the opposite is true as well. Both of them support each other. They're not antagonistic forces, not at all. They are actually extremely compatible. So part of why you perceive sovereignty this way is because you haven't healed your relationship with masculinity. Um, if you have been feeling, as I was talking about sovereignty, that there's something about it that's harsh, unfair, too much, too confident, too powerful, threatening, is because you need to heal your relationship with the masculine within and the masculine without. I would go as far as assuming that you don't have a great relationship with your father, if that's the case. And he, and your father didn't have a great relationship with the father before him. So what would be important for, and by the way, I'd probably go as far as assuming you don't, either don't love the sun or don't enjoy the sun or the heat because all of these things are interconnected, right? If your perception of the masculine is so distorted, right? then there is a reason why. And that's why you came in alignment with this content to show you that that was your blind spot. By the way, enough of you are going to have resistance to the feminine. Some of you are going to be like, oh, that's too soft. What do you mean being in our state of the world? How can she just be? She needs to, just, she needs to do. Like, what, where is the value in being? And so the both are true. So if you are feeling there's no value in being, go look at your relationship with your mom. Go look at your relationship with water. Because those are dead giveaways that something between you and Divine Mother ain't just right. And so part of it is shadow work and coming into completion, into the fullness of who we are by addressing the things that we can address, right? Because true Divine Masculine is so aligned. It is so benevolent. It is so responsible. It's so committed to the truth that no, it doesn't have the harsh angles. It is leadership in its most pristine, purified Form. And so if you feel like there is resistance in you to that, then there is a wounding around masculinity and around your father. Okay. Thank you guys for sticking around. This was kind of lofty. So thank you so much for being on this ride with me. Thank you for being so receptive as I'm scanning the human collective. Enough of you are nodding and enough of you are even grateful for this. So I'm like really, really happy. I think like I'll, I'll put a big checkbox. Um, mission accomplished for today. We may not have ascended to Christ consciousness level, but we made the first step. And so I commend you for this. Um, I'm really excited for more initiations to come your way and the unfolding to start happening in your individual lives based on the learnings, based on the understanding of sovereignty and togetherness. I am wishing you so much love and so much um, just like insight, so many insights. Um, and I know they will come. Uh, as, as you know a byproduct of this discussion um so yeah thank you for being troopers and coming um in, into the rabbit hole with me today you're awesome um you're the future of this planet um and the galaxy potentially and i will see you in the next episode bye